0: well good morning and uh, welcome to each one it's good to uh, be here with you and trust that our time here will be and will continue to be a a time of inspiration and blessing i was uh, i was yeah just blessed by some of the sharing that went on and and just grateful to hear how god is working in in your lives it's always a, a blessing and an inspiration for me to hear that. I'm glad that we that I'm part of a of a body that has the opportunity to share in this way. I think it puts shoe leather into uh, our Christian walk, and uh, it's I think it's good to uh, be able to testify to what and how God is moving in our lives. Thank you, Twila, especially for what you shared. Appreciate that. Uh, it's good to hear from. Uh, from, from you and just, uh, yeah, I feel like there was a, a message in and of itself right in what you shared there. Well, we stand on the banks of a new year, 2016. How many of you have already written 2015 this year? Raise your hand. Okay. It'll happen probably uh, too often that uh, we get into a mode and and it's hard for us to switch into another, uh, into another mode. But uh, this morning, I've uh, liked to talk about embracing the new, and it's obviously centered around, or a, 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 in light of, a new year. And uh, I want to take the text out of the Book of Lamentation. I think in my 25 years of preaching, this is the first time that I think I'm actually using the text from Lamentation. Not that I haven't quoted from there, but uh, actually having a text from there for the message. But uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Lamentation. Lamentation chapter 3. And we'd like to look at three verses As the main text, we're going to be looking at other verses in this passage. But we're going to use these three verses, verse 22, 23, and 24, as the main text. And this is how it reads. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. Let's just pray once more. Father, as we look in this word that you've given to us, I pray that you would rightly divide it to our hearts and break it down in bits and pieces that we can understand it and digest it and assimilate it into our lives and that it may make a difference as we go forward from here. In your name we pray, amen. As we stand at the banks of a new year, I think it gives us cause and a reason to just reflect on God's mercies to us. The emergence of something new reminds us of several things. And several things that we need to take note of is that uh, we we understand with, with the new that changes in life inevitably and typically gives birth to another chapter. Now this morning, particularly, I'm going to be focusing on things that may be difficult to face when the new things come. But we understand that there's all kinds of changes and all kinds of new things that can be good as well. But uh, how, how do we deal with the things that we face that we're not... That we may think they're not as good or not as uh, the, the way that we would wish that they would come about. And uh, when some of these come, when some of these things come, it, it opens up a new chapter in our lives. It helps us understand that God is up to something different. And which brings us to the next point, and that is just simply that chance and coincidence is outside of God's economy of reason and purpose. Life doesn't just happen. There's purpose, there's reason behind it. And while we may not understand everything about it, it is comforting to know that there's a mastermind behind it. I think one of the best ways that I've had it explained to me is when we think of life, we think of a big ship. And on this ship, now I've never been on a ship per se, never been on a cruise or anything like that, but I'm told that some of these big ships, you can, there's just multiple things and options of things that you can do on this ship. Uh, you can go There's a, a track that you can go running, there's swimming pools that you can go swimming, there's various restaurants, there's just all kinds of activities that you can do. And so you have the choice to decide whether you're going to participate in this activity or that activity. But while you're making that choice, the ship is moving in one direction. And that's sort of like life. That's how God is. God is moving in a certain direction. Now in that movement, we have a lot of choice and a lot of ability to say what we want to do and what we don't want to do. But it's going one direction. And we're going to reach a certain point in that journey. So the idea of going that direction in the ship is the whole thought of that, that, uh, that chance and coincidence doesn't happen in God's economy. The last thing that I just have that I want you to think about is that, that choices ultimately determine whether the change that we face, the changes, the new things that come our way, whether they will be considered a triumph or a tragedy. It's our choice. And we can look at certain instances, even something as painful as death. And we have the choice whether we're going to allow that to make us bitter and shrivel up and die or whether we're going to use that as a stepping stone, as a way of, of developing what God wants us to experience. Several Sundays ago, several weeks ago, after the Christmas caroling, Glad and I were sitting across the table from Willis and Alice, and we talked about a lot of different things that evening. And in, I don't even remember what led us to this, but at some point in the, in the conversation, uh, Willis reflected on the time that they left Maple Lawn and the difficulty of that experience and what it was for them to go through. He mentioned at one point, with a bit of lament in his voice, for what I detect as lament in his voice, just saying that, you know, he was a member there for four, over 40 years or 40 some years, and that he fully expected to die there. As a member of that church. But something changed. Something shifted. Something new happened. And these kinds of changes. Have leave a tremendous impact. On our lives. They shape who we are. Just recently. The last couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago. Glenn and I. Reflected briefly. On our own personal journey, in how we had left the North about 10 years ago, in the difficulty of that process. And in the past, I have purposely avoided or purposely limited talking about that experience publicly for a number of reasons. Um, initially it was because the whole experience was too raw in, in our in our experience that and that we just couldn't talk about it. We needed time. Uh, But more recently, and and I say more recently, uh, even earlier on, it was was an experience that was so personal to us that it was hard to convey the experience to other people uh, in a way that they could really understand what all the dynamics were that we went through in that experience. I I also, in a message, I really just feel a bit uncomfortable. I, I like to use personal experiences. I like to use personal illustrations. I think it helps bring life to a message. I'm always conscious about doing too much of that because I don't want the message to be all about I or me. And so I'm always conscious about that. But this morning I did feel pressed to share with you just a little bit, just give you a little insight to a little bit of what we experienced during that time on just maybe a part of that experience, of our own personal experience. I don't know if you can wrap your minds around what it was like to get a message one morning from the mission board telling us that they had concluded that it would be best for us to terminate our time with them after having served there with them for 14 years. Even as I was going through this again, it's difficult for me to even get a hold or grab a hold of the, the enormity and the in the mind-boggling disbelief that we experience those first few days as we tried to wrap our minds around the enormity uh, and the scope of that decision. I don't think I can... I could ever adequately convey the utter anguish of soul of those last six weeks as we packed and made arrangements to move back south, leaving the place that we had come to love, the place that our children called home. It literally felt like somebody reached into our hearts and just ripped it right out of us. And uh, I, I know what it's like to hurt so bad on the inside that there's actually pain that the body actually feels pain. I know what that's like. I've been there. Before I go any further I just want to say this that that I think it was Jonathan who even mentioned this morning in the sharing time that you know every every bad relationship is a result of of just some of that ugly stuff within us that needs to be eradicated, needs to be gotten rid of. And there was a history of six to seven years of of things that that uh, that led up to the board making the decision that they did. It was not an impulsive move on their part. I think Glad and I, perhaps a bit naively, felt that you know, relational difficulties and differences can always be worked through if there's forgiveness and if there's humility. And uh, we thought we were there. We had hoped and prayed and wanted to see it work. And, um, you know, just having gone through that experience, God revealed uh, areas of pride in our lives that we didn't even know were there. And um, so it, it... we certainly we certainly um, claim our, our part of the of the uh, of the of the breakdown of relationship. But the part that I want to talk about this morning was not so much what led us to that point, but from there forward and the difficulty it was for us. I want to focus on the giants of fears that enveloped me in the following months. My simple faith was put to a test like I had never experienced before. And uh, one of the things that, that was, was very pressing to me at that point, uh, over the years of service that we had given um, we had uh, definitely it brought definitely some some financial leanness to our to our pocketbook and um, and uh, even now I look back and I wonder how we did it, but uh, but we did. And you know, I just never that was just never something that was of great concern to me. I just felt in you know, a simple. Faith that God was going to take care of us, and He did. Well, I could just give you story after story of ways that God provided for us in a way that was supernatural, and uh, it was just—it was one of the best ways that we could convey to our children that the God that we serve was alive; He was real, and we tried to use those opportunities to teach that to them. And I always said that. I said, I just want my children to know that the God I serve is not just a religious form of some mystical being out there, but he's here every day for us. And that's just sort of how that simple faith was for us. So, while we had ample... Or, or let me say it another way, while we, while we never had ample, we always had enough. Huh. We had a simple faith that God would provide. We had a place to live, we had food to eat, we had clothes to wear, we had a vehicle to drive. And, uh, and, and we just, God always took care of us. But suddenly at age 41, huh, I found myself basically needing to start all over again. And I needed to find employment. I needed to find housing. I needed to transition our family into a new church or a different church. Uh, The cultural adjustments were a lot, lot greater coming back than when we went that direction. Uh, I, I can't even put to words how difficult it was. And concerning finances, you know, most men my age were well situated financially at that time, and I was just beginning, and I was overwhelmed with fear. I, I, how will we make it financially? What would happen to me? What would happen to Glad and the children if something would happen to me? And those those fears just plagued me, plagued me. How will we ever buy a house? Just on and on, the fears came. And many other questions bombarded my soul day and night. And suddenly that simple faith that I had in God was put to the test like never before. I, I feel so incredibly vulnerable. <laughs> and even as I share the story today, it's hard for me to, to recapture the struggle and the pain that were so much a, a part of our lives back then. I felt, we felt so alone, so deserted. Even though we had people around us and people that cared, uh, we felt alone and, and like a lot of people didn't understand. And uh, I appropriately called those years my years of tears. You've heard me say that before already. Well, the text that we have this morning is seated in a similar situation. If we were to take a panoramic view of the book of Lamentation, we would see the broken heart of Jeremiah or what is typically attributed to Jeremiah as the, as the author of the book of Lamentation. Tears and sorrows expressed the grief over the national tragedy that was unfolding before his eyes. And even though it was not a personal loss, Uh, Jerusalem, the city of God, and the city that he had come to love and appreciate and, and care for was given over to the Babylonians. Israel had sinned by rejecting God. And as a result, they had fallen from the grace of God and they were now slaves to the Babylonians. The verses in our text the three verses that we read are the midpoint or the climax to the five chapters that we find in this book. But before I expound on those three verses, allow me just to give you an overview of the entire book. If we were to go to chapter 1, we would see that chapter 1 provides a summary of the siege and the fall of Israel or of, of Jerusalem. Notice chapter 1, verse 1. Notice what it says. Just take your Bibles. I don't have it on the PowerPoint. But open your Bibles and go to chapter 1, verse 1. It says, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow is she, who was great among the nations, the princes among the province, has she become a, has become a slave. You can, just, you can feel the lament that Jeremiah was feeling and, and experiencing. Each verse in chapter 1 is laden with lament and sorrow. Perhaps the depth of his sorrow was encapsulated in, 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 uh, in verse 20. Look over there in verse 20. It says, See, O Lord, that I am in distress. My soul is troubled. My heart is overwhelmed within me, for I have been very rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves at home it is like death and so chapter 1 just he just he just expresses the depth of his grief over where Jerusalem was chapter 2 offers a more detailed and an explicit description of the devastation of that fall the writer jeremiah goes into great detail describing God's anger and displeasure over Jerusalem. Again, verse 1 sets the tone for the whole chapter. Listen to verse 1. How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger. He cast down from heaven to the earth the beauty of Israel and did not remember his footstool in the day of his anger. And so Jeremiah is, just, is, is experiencing the judgment of God. They were experiencing the full impact of their choices that, that they uh, had made earlier. And um, while some of the things that we face in life are not necessarily contingent upon the choices that we've made, many of them are. Many of the things that we experience in life are a result of choices that we have personally made. Well, chapter 3 then, the climax, like I had said, something shifts in chapter 3. While, he's, while he begins, it stu- the chapter starts out with, with expressing more laments. It moves from lament to an expression of hope. In fact, the whole book, like I mentioned, crescendos in verse 23, 24, uh, 22, 23, and 24, the, the text that we have this morning, where an expression of colorful praise reflects the compassion and the faithfulness of God. Let's read those verses again. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Great is your faithfulness is the heart of this book. Great is your faithfulness. The, the verses in the following chapter, or in the remainder of this chapter, also reflects a confession uh, and, a, and a prayer. Verse 40 in, in, in chapter 3, he says, Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. This is the response of a penitent person. Well, then we go in chapter 4. And chapter 4 relaxes in its intensity, emotional intensity that was found in the earlier chapters by describing how suffering affects all classes of people of Jerusalem. Of course, we could identify with that just in life in general. And then he wraps up chapter 5 finally. With a prayer that begins as "Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us," and then it the ends in chapter or in verse twenty-one with "Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored." That was the prayer that Jeremiah had in chapter five. If we step back far enough away from these verses, we would actually see an acceptable pattern of response emerging. From these pages, Jeremiah starts out with a great lament for the present situation and then he moves from sorrow to praise and from praise to restoration. And that's the pattern that we want to look at as we go through the rest of this message. Most of us, all of us in this audience are old enough to know that life sometimes throws us curveballs that we just are not expecting. And as we stand at the dawn of a new year, no one of us has a clue what all 2016 will hold for us. Depending on our perspective, this could be a a bit daunting. Generally, we are creatures of habit, and we are most comfortable when there is a pattern and a protocol to follow. When that is stripped from us, it can leave us feeling very vulnerable and insecure and a bit at risk. Even as we think back in this past year, 2015, how would you describe 2015 in your own life? Was it a year of lament and sorrow? Was it a year that was filled with pain and loss? We know at least for one mom it was a a year of loss. Death. Jeremy's gone. For other parents, it was a year of joy. LeVon and Beth have a new baby. 2015. For others it was marriage. Uh, For a few of us it was meant buying a house, a new home. And... um, for some, it meant going into a service. For LaVon and Beth, it meant a huge transition for them. And uh, they left a lot of things to go into service. For Jamie, it meant coming home from what he has lived and breathed for two years. And Let me tell you something, church. <laughs> it's not an easy time for Jamie right now. And just put your arm around him and encourage him. I've been there. We've been there. And one of the best gifts that we can give our people coming back from service is just to let them know we care and that we notice them and just let them struggle through the adjustment period. It's good to have you back, by the way. Glad and I will probably look back in 2015 as one of the busiest years of our lives, of our married life. In some ways, we're still trying to catch our breath just was a whirlwind of activity for us. But regardless of what transpired this year, we have only the future to anticipate. What is the appropriate attitude for the believer? And how should we anticipate the unknown? I would like to leave you with three concluding thoughts as we look forward to 2016 in embracing the new things that God will bring our way. Three concluding thoughts. Number one, understand that change requires a new norm. How well I, rec- how well I recall the few months after I returned from the north, I recall many mornings getting up to have my devotional time and just prostrating myself before the Lord, begging him to help me to forgive and to move forward in life. The future looked totally overwhelming to me. That first year, I helped my brother Tim in the electrical business. And that winter, I just remember many times going to work and tears just running down my face. I couldn't stop the tears. They just came. And I was just trying to make sense of life. I was trying to to find purpose in life. I was trying to to know where to go from here. You might think, hey, what's the big deal? Just get on with life. Well, we did. We did. But the process to get there was not one that happened overnight. I felt a bit like Jeremiah expressed himself in chapter 3. If you go to chapter 3, Verse 7 through 9. Here's what Jeremiah said, and he's talking about God. He said, He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chains heavy. Even when I cry and shout, He has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my ways with hue and stone. He has made my paths crooked. How many of us can identify a time in our lives similar to what Jeremiah is expressing right here in these verses? Yes, sometimes we feel like we are at the mercy of the one who orchestrates these changes in life. During those dark days, I remember feeling like God was literally hanging me out over a cliff, and I was just hanging on by the thinnest strand that could possibly hold me yet. That's how I felt. I just felt like I was backed up against the wall. I had no say in the matter. There's just no way out of this. Life was dealing too many changes too fast, and it was hard for me to process everything fast enough. No amount of kicking or screaming or lamenting. When things like that come our way, when death comes knocking, we cannot change death. It's here. And no amount of tantrum throwing will change that. I mentioned earlier that we as humans tend to be creatures of habit. Obviously some by nature are more prone to habitual tendencies than others. However, even our bodies are set on a biological clock that works in ways that we don't even think about. For instance, there's things that take place internally in our body that we seldom give thought that keeps us alive. Our breathing, our heartbeat, our digestive system that takes food in and then expels it. And we don't think about it. It just happens while we're going about. Our cells that are being reproduced on a daily basis in our body Things that happen without us being consciously aware of it. We have sleeping patterns, eating habits, exercise, or the lack thereof, that we schedule our days by. Some individuals are very methodical and predictable, while others are a bit more spontaneous. But even those who are spontaneous, generally we prefer prefer to revolve in a normal, predictable cycle of some sorts. However, outside of some of these predictable patterns that we've mentioned, typically life processes itself with new events, new things, changes. A very real part of life comprises of changing. Some of them are readily embraced. But there's many times that these events can really shake our world. It can stop us cold and and suddenly what has always been normal to us is no longer normal. And we have to develop a new norm. Life will never be the same again. The predictable has shifted to the unpredictable. Life as we know will not be the same. And so then how do we move forward with a new norm? Well, I would like to suggest, by the way, the verse that I have there is found there in the, in the, uh, in the uh, passage of, uh, of scripture that we had. And I read that. He has hedged me in. I would like to suggest that we find the new norm by finding an anchor in God's mercy and faithfulness, that's how we develop a new norm. I recall observing a mentor friend of mine, Brother David Hirschberger, and I remember how he responded to some individuals that were facing a life crisis. The family, the family that he was ministering to, had experienced a loss and was obviously. Uh, facing uh, things, uh, they were lamenting, they were crying about the situation. And David was asked to speak to the family. And I saw him get up front, and this is what he said and in, in these words. I mean, not maybe verbatim, but uh, the thought line was, he said, friends, I just want to normalize the situation for you. I want, I want you to understand that it's normal to cry about this kind of situation. And I just want to give you that right. Go ahead and and cry. That's okay. He put everyone at ease by acknowledging the difficulty of the situation and allowing the family to express their grief. You see, lamenting is part of the process, a part of a natural response when there is personal loss. God is okay with that. In fact, he designed us with emotions. Emotions. He knew that we needed an outlet, and crying was one of the way for us to begin to heal. That is why the book of Lamentations was written. That is why Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet. He felt keenly about the situation, and he expressed it through tears. However, at some point, our tears will be exhausted. What then? Well, I refer you to our friend Jeremiah to learn what he did. What did he do? Eventually, he put something solid underneath his feet. He realized that he needed to anchor himself in something greater than the situation. It is no different from us or for us. When situations in life come to us that are beyond our control, We need to find something solid to stand on. Something that will bring stability and strength to the circumstances. Exactly what the passage that we read about in our text. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is what Jeremiah put beneath him. To give him something solid to stand on. In the midst of that turmoil. Friends. Anchor yourself in God's mercy and faithfulness. When everything around you is moving and shifting, God will not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's how we learn to embrace the new. You must find something solid to stand on, and that is found in Jesus Christ. Focusing on God's faithfulness, brings that kind of stability to the situation. That is exactly what David did in the, in the book of Psalms. If we go to the book of Psalms, that's exactly what he did. Regardless of how much uh, frustration and anger and, and insecurity that David vented over and over in the book of Psalms, he always comes back to God's faithfulness and his mercies. Always. And it's no different for us. If we continue to focus Only on the situation we will become consumed by it. However, if we're able to step back far enough from God's and and far enough back to see God's mercy and His faithfulness, we will get something solid under our feet to stand upon—an anchor, something that will something that will not move and shift with time. And that's the challenge that I give to you. And thirdly, and the last one that I want to leave with you, is that we use these changes then to our advantage. There's always an adjustment period. There's always that new norm that we have to get adjusted to when we experience changes in our lives. As a result, it's difficult sometimes for us to see the blessings that come out of that situation, particularly right at that time. But here's the deal. As believers... Our hope is not circumstantial. Rather, it should be found in the Lord. Again, I would just take you back to what Jeremiah said. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. One of the hallmarks of spiritual maturity is when my life, when I realize that, that life does not rev- revolve around me, but rather it revolves around the Father. That life revolves around the Father what He's up to. The truth makes the biggest difference, or that truth makes the biggest difference in whether I'm going to see the situation that comes my way as a tragedy or a triumph. As long as I focused on our situation, on the fears that plagued me day and night for a, for a stint... I couldn't see, I couldn't see God's faithfulness. I, I, I couldn't get a hold of his faithfulness. But when I was able to set that side and say, God, what are you up to in my life? What is it that you want to accomplish in my life? All of a sudden, I began to see God's faithfulness and his mercy. And I got something solid under me. And now, these many years later, today... We can honestly say, as we look back 10 years ago, that that experience has made us so much better people. Now, you might not see it, but we see it in ourselves. While I would never want to go through that situation again, I can honestly thank God from the bottom of my heart for taking me through that discipline. It was the best thing that could have happened to me. It was probably the only way that some of those ugly things in my life could get stripped and eradicated and taken care of. Besides of the external blessings, I know that things happen inside of me that I'll never be the same again. And truly it has become one of my biggest stepping stones in my life. The toughest thing in my life that I ever faced has now become a stepping stone in my life. So I want to leave you with that same hope as you stand on the banks of 2016. We have no idea what's ahead of us. But I give you the hope of Jesus Christ. Regardless of what you may face, there's an anchor in Jesus Christ, and I challenge you to place your hope and your confidence in his faithfulness and in his mercy. Let's pray, and then I'll let Keith close. Father, thank you so much for your kindness, your goodness, your love, your mercy to us. Father, you have been so good. Your faithfulness can never be exceeded. And your mercy you renew every day. Lord, we know that there's been tough things that have happened this past year. Lord, may we use them as anchors to stand on your faithfulness to us, to be able to stand on and help us change in ways that Only those situations could help us to change. As we stand on the bank of the new year, I pray for the same thing here. Again, Lord, if there are changes that are difficult and overwhelming, God, lead us back to you. And may you give us that stability and strength. We pray this in your name. Amen.